Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired podcast community. And as much as I love the guests that we have on, I appreciate even more the impact of their stories, their messages, their lives on yours. So I'm asking you to take just a moment to do me a big favor. I'd like you to take a survey so that we can better understand what it is about our Live Inspired podcast that you love, what's working for you, maybe what's not working perfectly for you, what more you'd like to hear about, and maybe a special guest you'd like us to bring on. You can take this survey by visiting me online at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Again, here we go, johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Come on. I really want these podcasts to be as best as they can. I want them to challenge your thinking and elevate your lives. So take just a moment right now, help us make this better, not only for you, but for our entire community. Your feedback matters. So go again right now to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Now, here we go. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I bring you amazing guests to discuss their life story so that we can better understand and then more fully effectively live out our own life story. So here's my question to you today. What makes someone a superhuman? I'm gonna ask that again, because it's a little bit uh, unusual for our podcast. What makes someone truly superhuman? Is it their cape? Maybe that's what it is. Is, is it their blue tights? their ability to fly or to jump or to leap. Well, my guest today was curious about the subject too. And rather than turning to Marvel or Superman or the X-Men franchise for answers, he identified 11 superhuman traits and searched the world to find the finest examples of individuals who personified these traits. But maybe even more than that, research what it really means to the rest of us. So here you go, my friends. I invite you right now to grab your journal, uh, grab your cape while you're at it, put it on, put on those blue tights, get ready to soar into life as we talk about being superhuman with my newest friend and now yours, Rowan Hooper. Rowan, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, brother, we're, we're thrilled. What what cape are you wearing today? <laughs> Actually, I've got a, a gray hooded cape I'm wearing. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad uh, you have the, that cape on. And, and uh, tell us where you're taking this podcast interview request from today. Um, I'm at home in London. And uh, were you born there? I was. For yep. those who don't yet know the, the life story and the work that you do, give us a snapshot of currently what you're up to, and then we'll back into how you got here. What do you, what do, you do sure. today? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a journalist. Um, I'm kind of a part-time journalist at, at New Scientist magazine, which is a, a big uh, weekly science magazine. Um, we're based in the UK, but we have uh, we publish in, in the US and in Australia. Um, so I, I do that part-time, but I also write uh, part-time too. So I, I divide my week between purely writing and purely doing magazine stuff. What about family? Yeah, I've got uh, a partner and two little girls uh, who are just downstairs now <laughs> uh, getting, having their dinner, getting ready, you know, bedtime soon, hopefully. 
Yes, yeah. we, we we are all nodding in agreement with that. Uh, yeah. The gift of bedtime and uh, the, the pain yeah. to actually get there. So uh, we, we won't take you away from those little ones for long, but we do want to hear your story. You know, cool. you, you wrote this phenomenal book about superhumans and what I learned about you in this in this book, not only about your heart, Rowan, and your mind, both very strong, but your your aptitude to travel, man. I mean, you've been all over the world twice. So uh, I, I want to hear a little bit about that right now. What, what Do you have a travel bug and has it always been there? Um, it's not always been there. Um, I didn't go really traveling crazy until... Um, until really my PhD, I did it. Uh, so just as a bit of background, I, I did, um, I was a scientist before I became a writer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really did have a burning desire to, to get out of the UK, uh, you know, not because I hated the UK particularly, but, but, but quite the opposite. I, I just really wanted to see the rest of the world. Um, and so after I'd done my PhD, I went to Japan um, and I, I did a postdoc there. And I was learning about animal behavior um and i i just completely fell in love with japan and right. that, that whole region and I, and I stayed there for eight years um and during that time I, I traveled as much as i could um for work but also on vacation uh in the in the region um i guess that's when i did the the real bulk of my traveling um yeah and uh yeah so it hasn't always been there but um i, I do it whenever i can get away and, and experience new cultures. Well, it's an incredibly well-researched and documented journey that you take us on as we read through Superhuman. You know, we'll talk about those traits and the men and women and the boys and girls that you meet along the way and the traits that uh, made themselves very clear to you. But before we do, you know, we've all been influenced by superhumans in our life, you know, and and seldom do they wear capes and several, seldom are they, uh, are they book worthy, if you will. But they're the ones that led us perfectly to where we are today. So I'm, I'm hoping that you'll talk about a couple of the influences in your life growing up. Who, who really guided you forward to encourage you to become the best version of yourself? Um, oh, you know, it's got to be my parents. Um, you know, they, they let me do what I wanted, you know, to, to some extent um, when I was a kid. And I... You know, I, I did like lots of different things when I was a child and, uh, you know, I, I tried lots of different things. And I think that's actually key. Um, yes. Funnily enough, I, I found that out during writing the book that um, people who who just try lots of different things in, and, and the key point is to enjoy lots of different things and do what you in, end up doing what you really enjoy the most. Um, and if you try loads of different things, you're more likely to find something that you're you not only really like, but that you're really good at. Um, and so I was lucky enough to really just have that opportunity. And, um, you know, w- w- when I was growing up, the thing I, I really, really loved was, was animals, like mm. a lot of kids. And, um, and I, I kind of realized one day, wow, you know, everyone loves animals. Lots of kids love animals, but there's actually a job you can do when you grow right. up. It's all about loving animals and understanding more about them. And, and uh, when I realized that, I, I went into that. Um, and so I became, um, you know, a zoologist and uh, became an evolutionary biologist. And, and I just thought, this is, this is incredible. Like, you get paid my, for doing what you love. Right. You know, my, I, I get paid for doing what I love and what's, what is something incredibly fascinating. So, um, yeah, I was lucky that enough that um, that, that coincided, something that I, I really loved doing and I, I was able to do. I, you know, I, I managed to, to get that as a, as a career. Um, but I also loved writing. 
Um, and, and now I've been lucky enough again to combine uh, those things. So I, lo- I love of uh, sort of evolutionary biology of science mm. um, and of writing. And uh, to do both of those things is is great. It's a it's a makes me very happy. Well, the joy comes through not only on this conversation, but certainly in the book. I, I find the best scientists, it's not necessarily where they went to school. It may not even be the IQ that they walk around with. I, I think the very best among us who are scientists ask the best questions and they're just naturally incredibly curious. Was was that tendency just part of your innate character, Rowan, growing up? Or have you always been a curious guy? Um, I think so, yeah. I mean, I guess I was, when I was a child, you know, I was one of those classic kids that's always asking questions over and over again. Um, but I think, you know, loads of kids have that. Um, and I guess it's, it's nice that that didn't disappear in me. And in some kids, it, it, it kind of fades away a bit. Um, for whatever reason, but um, I, it didn't. It didn't go away in me. It still hasn't. I'm still very curious about things, and and I love finding out new things. So I would say that is a, a part of my character that's always been there, just um, being curious and and wanting to learn more. When, and I want to talk about the curiosity as it reveals itself in your book that I, I just I really did enjoy. You you begin it by talking about I think I'm saying this right a primatologist. And by yeah. the way, as we go forward, correct me repeatedly as I mispronounce yeah. all the terms you use sure. uh, because none of them come natural to this non-scientist. So you're, you're right. at a conference with this primatologist and you're talking about how similar chimps are to uh, we humans. Yeah. And you get reprimanded. You get corrected very quickly. Uh, talk about that briefly because I think it sets the tone for where the book goes. Sure. So, I mean, the, the background to that is, you know, as a zoologist, I... I knew a lot about animal behavior. And so that was, it was natural then as a journalist that I would write about those sorts of things. And, you know, we, we're finding lots of different things about chimps and other primates in recent years. We found about different tools they use, different language abilities they have. Um, we've sequenced their genome. And, and we seem, we're finding more and more that they do loads of things we thought that only humans could do. Um, and so I was at this primatology conference and I was saying you know in a in a quite a blasé way to to one of the scientists there hey yeah you know we're not so special you know anything we can do chimps can do you know and the guy just looked at me and said well when did they build the large hadron collider then and <laughs> and I was like oh uh you know that absolutely shut me up because there was there was no response to that I, I just realized instantly that Sure, chimps are smart and other animals can do cool things, but nothing approaches the kind of expertise and brilliance that human ingenuity has displayed over over centuries and years. Um, and I, it was it was really like it was a revelation. Yeah. I, of course, we are far above um, other animals in capability in in many different things, and that was uh, the kind of genesis of this book to sort of look um, across the board at different traits that we have that we can excel at and and find people who are the best at at all those traits across the board. When I I think we we frequently forget the the incredible miracle that that is our life and our humanity and and it is reminded and brought back to us within these characteristics, within these traits. How'd you go about selecting the ones you did. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could have picked anything. 
And you yeah. isolated down to 11, I believe. How, how, how'd you go about choosing those? Well, um, you know, I, I wanted to try and cover um, things that we knew that we we are good at. We can demonstrate that we're, we're good at, but also that there's scientific research about. So that there may be some things that we get at that we don't quite understand yet or that are very, very subjective. Um, but I wanted to find traits that we could measure and that we could start to look at from a quite a strong scientific point of view and maybe in some cases uh, the genetics of, of that trait. So I wanted to find things that um, made, made a broad spectrum of different things humans are capable of um, and, and try to, you know, cover everything. I mean, I, it's not the full human experience by any right. means, um, but, but it's things that we can, we can excel at, um, especially in comparison to other animals. Well, uh, you, you talked about a graduate, I believe, from Oxford, Cardinal Wolseley, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. youngest ever graduate until about 500 years later when a fellow named John Nunn shows up. Talk about John Nunn. Yeah. So um, he, he was a chess grand, well, he's a chess grandmaster. Um, and when he was a kid, he, um, before he learned to, to read and write, he, he was suddenly, like his parents suddenly saw that he was, looking at the books, books on their shelves, and he, and he arranged the books in a certain order according to the number of pages they had. And this was before he could read. So they thought, how, they said, John, you know, how are you doing this? And he, and he showed them that um, he understood all the numbering, the page numbers. And not only that, he, he could figure out, that, you know, that some numbers were bigger than others and all of that. So he had this incredible innate understanding of, of, of mathematics, basically, of numbering, um, that was there from age four. Um, and and then he he learned to play chess um, very soon after that and, and displayed an, uh, an extraordinary ability in chess. Um, and then, you know, it, it kind of just carried on. Um, so when he was 15, he'd already graduated high school and, you know, he was, re he was basically ready to go to university. So he... He did, you know, he, even though he was much younger than, um, as you say, he was the youngest um, undergraduate at Oxford for 500 years. <laughs> right. But he was accepted. He, he went there. He, he graduated and then did a PhD in maths um, and, and, and all the time carrying on um, playing chess and became a, a grandmaster. It was in the world top 10. So um, an extraordinary individual, but someone who's intelligence in this case he's in the chapter on intelligence um was apparent very early on um so you know it appears that there's a big chunk of that was was innate and that's that's something that's really interesting well i'm curious you i want to ask you about that innate piece that you either you either have or you don't but as we read through this struggling in our own lives with um you know challenges that are in front of us can you increase your intelligence as you move through life you, you you're born with what you have but then can you elevate that and and uh can you expand your intelligence can you expand your iq well that's a really interesting question um it, iq is quite stable actually throughout life um which is you know in some ways it can be quite a disappointment for quite for disappointing over here brother there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of us in studio right now who are moping yeah um, on the other hand, um, an IQ, you know, an, an IQ test is not um, 
is not something that that guarantees your personal outcome. Um, and many people who are incredibly successful don't have particularly high IQs. So, um, and two of the other people in that chapter um, who are incredibly successful people don't don't even know their IQs. You know, so it's not it's not the be all and end all. Um, but IQ itself is, and if we take that as a proxy for intelligence, it is quite stable throughout life, even from childhood. Um, that said, there are different things we can do to um, exploit the things we're good at and play to our strengths, basically. Um, and that's, again, all finding out about what you're good at. Um, and that's something you, you just find out during your life. When you go on to uh, talk about the marshmallow test, which is something I bumped into years ago. I love it. I love the video of it. But for those who are unfamiliar with the marshmallow test, explain what that is and, and why it matters. Well, um, yeah, this was a test done, I think it was in the 60s. Um, and basically what it is, is you they, they took um, a classroom full of kids and half of them were told they could, well, I think they were all given um, marshmallows and they were told um, you can either eat this now or you can wait half an hour and you get another one. Um, and and like some kids um, couldn't resist eating the marshmallow <laughs> right away because it was there right in front of their eyes. But but a few um, said, okay, if I if I just exert a bit of willpower here and wait, I'll get another marshmallow in half an hour. And and they waited. And the so that's that. That's the basic experiment. But then the the key part is if you follow those kids um, over the years, and they they kept track of them over years and years. Um, the kids who managed to exert that willpower um, turned out to have higher IQs and ha higher sort of educational outcomes um, over the years. So it appears that um, if you, the, you know, the kids who pass the marshmallow test, as, as they put it, um, uh, have higher IQs and ha higher out outcomes. However, I, I have to say that that is controversial because it was quite a small sample in that in that study. So. Um, a lot of intelligence researchers these days are a little bit skeptical of that. But um, I mean, as a as something easy to grasp and easy to intuitively easy to understand, it, it does make sense. It does make sense. It is unfortunate, however, that all O'Leary's will fail that test because those marshmallows <laughs> are gone promptly. <laughs> yeah. You 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 then go on to talk about memory. Yeah. You talk about pie. Uh, you know I. I when people ask me about pie, I'm either thinking about eating apple pie, which is very American of me, or I can go 3.14. Right. And I'm very proud of my uh, ability to do that. You bumped into ladies and gentlemen who could take this thing down and down and down. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but tell our listeners right now just how how far the mind is capable of remembering something like this. Yeah, well, I think the the world record holder has um, remembered pi to a hundred thousand digits, um, and and demonstrated that by just reciting it. And obviously, there are people checking this; it's filmed, right? And uh, you know, I mean, it's it's really unbelievable to recite a hundred thousand digit number <laughs> from memory, um, and the way they do it, um, and other people have done it in different ways. Oh, sorry, to different number, to different l amounts. Um, but the way they all do it really is convert the numbers into a story, which they then memorize the story, which is much easier than right. remembering just a random string. 
they remember the story and then they tell the story to themselves in the head and convert it back into the numbers and then read out the number. So, um, but, so it's a, it's a trick if you will, but still it's an incredibly impressive, um, feat of memory. So as you're, as you're going through these superhumans, what does that mean to us as we struggle remembering the names of a client or prospect or when to get the kids from school? How do we elevate our own sense of memory going forward? Oh, well, with memory, actually, um, as opposed to some of the other traits that I, I focus on in the book, with memory, that is something that we can, all of us, uh, improve. There are There are tricks that you don't have to have, you know, be born with the right set of genes, for example, or have some innate ability. Uh, with memory, there are there are sort of tricks that anyone can learn, and 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 people have learned them and demonstrated. Hey, I've just got a normal memory. You you spend like a few weeks um, practicing in different ways, and and you can you can find ways to increase your memory. So so you don't forget people's names, or so you you do remember a, a list of mm-hmm. things. You know, when you're studying, it might help you study. So for memory, there are tricks, there are ways to um, to get around that. You go on to unpack language and singing, among other things, but I want to move us forward to an area on focus. And yeah. I, I think one of the great uh, heroes, really, within this book, as you look at all these various unique individuals and their superhuman abilities, was a woman named Ellen MacArthur. For those yeah. unfamiliar with Ellen, talk about who she is and what makes her superhuman. Sure. Well, um, she she's a, a British sailor, um, and uh, it was about ten years ago now. I think she um, she sailed around the world uh, nonstop on her own, and and set the world record uh, for the t- at the time for the you know the fastest circumnavigation of the globe. And she did she did it in seventy one days. So uh, the reason I cl- I class her as a superhuman is that she had to sail that boat on her own uh for two and a half months um unsupported uh just you know completely on her own being self-sufficient and and that means sleeping with the ropes to the sails Mm. in her hands so you know if a if a squall blew up um she would have to feel the ropes going through her hands and just instantly wake up so you know she didn't get a proper sleep for two and a half months and and yet she she got through it and she broke the world record. So um, I, I classed her as a superhuman because I thought, well, that, that amount of focus, to maintain that focus for that amount of time is incredible. Uh, but when I put, put it to her, by the way, she says, oh, no, I'm just ordinary. Wow. <laughs> you know, she, she denies it completely. But the, but the reason I, I put her in is, is this incredible drive and this goal she had um, to sail around the world. She, she said, I'm going to do this. And she had that, that drive from a very early age, actually. Well, I found that the most surprising aspect, actually. I, I believe we, we can do something for a couple months. The majority of us can really stay focused for a couple months. It may be hard. It may burn your hands as the rope is tugging on you, but you can probably do it. One thing that really amazed me about her is she, from the age of four, I believe, she had this vision as a little yeah. girl growing up in the UK of traveling the world in a boat by herself. Yeah. That just blew me yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. Um, she'd she'd gone on a boat with her auntie at age four, and she came home and, and she loved it. She came home and said, "Wow, this this thing is like a little house that you can travel in. You've got a you've got a little bunk in there. You've got a little kitchen." And you, it's like a mobile house that you can go anywhere in the world on. She, she loved it. 
she went home and said to her parents, I'm going to sail around the world when I, when I grow up. And they patted her on the head and said, yes, yes, Ellen. Now. But, but actually she did. Um, and from age four, she, she absolutely stuck to her guns and mm. said, I, I love that. I'm going to put everything in to doing it. And, and she did. She, she saved up all her money, all her pocket money. She did odd jobs. And everything went into saving up until she could buy a secondhand boat and teach herself to sail. Um, and it went from there. And she stuck to her goal. Her goal was very clear. Um, and it was to sail around the world. And, and she, she, she had a goal and she knew she wanted to do it and she loved it. And, 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 and so she succeeded. And so from her point of view, it's like, I, I didn't do anything superhuman. I just had a goal and I went for it. Um, but for the most of us, right. you, you get knocked down because you've come up against some big hardship um, and you think, oh, that's too hard. Um, I, I'm not going to do it after all. Actually, I don't love it that much that I'm really going to go for it. But, but she did. Um, so amazing. You have two little ones downstairs finishing dinner and just about getting ready for bed. Yeah. You're a researcher and a writer and a scientist. And then the folks listening to this podcast are parents and sons and daughters. They're athletes. They're, uh, they're trying to lose 11 pounds. They're, they're trying to increase the bankroll. They're trying to grow spiritually. And then we lose focus. Yeah. In your research, in this specific area on focus, whether it's this incredible woman or others that you bumped into or the research you did along the way, what have you learned that we can apply practically as we try to sell more insurance or lead better lives? Um, for focus, it's it's really having a goal. And um, whether you're focusing on something that you want to do in the future, like in, in years time, or whether it's something you're doing, um, you're doing, that you need to complete in the next hour, um, identifying the focus and the reason for, for why you need to do it, keeping that clear in your mind is something we can, we can all do. It doesn't have to be something as dramatic as sailing around the world, mm -hmm. or, you know, driving a Formula One car like the other person mm -hmm. I met. Um, it doesn't have to be dramatic. We can do that sort of thing just for, for in our everyday lives. And, 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 and that, having that, identifying a goal and, and finding the steps towards it um, will, will help us achieve that goal. Well, I think it's not the next section in your book, but it's the next section in my line of questioning because it ties in, I think, into focus. You wrote down maybe two or three times the number 30,736. In the book, do you know what that reference is? Uh, no. Let me tell Am you, I brother, when you wrote the book, that was how many days you'd been alive. Oh, 30,000 yeah. days, 736 to be exact. Yeah. In, in identifying that, Rowan, um, what did that do for you? In, in being aware of, of uh, how many days you've been alive and then in contrasting that to kind of a vision for how many days you had left, how did that affect you? Oh, it, it, I won't say it's chi it was chilling, but um, it, was, it, it was weird because we, we normally think of our age in years. Right. And, you know, Okay, we can we can figure we can we can all get by with another year. But when you think of it in days, like you think, wow, that's thirty thousand days. Like I don't remember a lot of those; they've just slipped by. And you know, you can just feel a day is something that just goes. And and when you feel when you when you account for your life in days, you start to think, have I been doing enough with those days? Hmm. So it was quite um, it was quite an odd and 
an instructive feeling, but Agreed. it was quite, um, yeah, it was quite um, a humbling feeling, really. And I, I do encourage anyone to calculate your the your age in days and and see what feeling it gives you. Right. I think it's a, a great way to stay focused on actually what matters and it ties those two themes together. You also had the opportunity to interview a bunch of centurions. <clears throat> we won't go through them all, but uh, talk about Elizabeth Love. Yeah. Um, so she was 101, I think, when I met her. Um, she was, yeah, an extraordinary woman. Um, well, extraordinary only for yeah. uh, living that long. And, and I think this is a, this is what's really interesting. I mean, if anyone lives to that age, you're going to have some great stories and, and you're going to have some ups and downs in your life. Um, Including for her two world wars, one depression, several recessions, the loss of a right. spouse. I mean, the ups right. and downs of history and this woman embodies it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but what was funny was when, when I met her, um, I met her just after lunch and uh, she'd already had a glass of wine for her lunch and I, I was sort of slightly surprised and she said no I, I drink every day <laughs> um, I have done my whole life and um, I, I smoked until I was in my 90s and um, at first I was kind of surprised by that but then when I've looked into more about centenarians and, and even super centenarians so people who live 110 and over um, it's not about they haven't got that that old because they were super healthy their right. entire life. <laughs> right. um, it's actually quite a lot of them drink and smoke um, uh, for for a long, 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 many, many years. Um, and by the way, that's not to advocate. Right. That, it sounds like Rowan is saying people get uh, off this podcast, go to the nearby convenience store, get yourself a pack of cigarettes, and let's uh, live a long time. Unfortunately, um, for most of us, if we do that, it it, it won't have a good health outcome. Right, but. But um, from what we know about looking at the genomes of, of centenarians, it turns out that, that they have some as yet unknown protective factor that um, is, do, is undoing the damage they, they cause by smoking and drinking and so on, and maybe unhealthy eating and you know doing no exercise, all the other things that we need to do. Um, for some people who live to a great age, they have uh, a protective genetic factors that um, undo that damage. Um, so, that, uh, yeah, as I say, we don't know what they are yet, but you can be sure people are desperately trying to find out because you can just imagine the uh, the benefits for everyone. Yeah. If we get well, that out. As I read it, it almost seemed to me your sense of of like gratitude for the day had a direct impact on your length of years, not only the vibrancy within them, but the length of them. And the, the candidates that you interviewed spoke to that. These weren't, uh, they weren't full of anxiety. They weren't down on their lives. They were just kind of grateful for everything they had and, and sipping a glass of sherry back at lunch to celebrate their life. I, yeah. I think there's a lesson within that, whether you're going to live 101 years or live well for 51. Absolutely it, right. Yeah. It seems Maybe. like your favorite superhuman, and I know it's, a, it's hard as a parent to say, hey, that daughter is my favorite or that son is my yeah. favorite, but the favorite guest that you interviewed was a woman named Car C Carmen Tarleton. Am I saying that right? That, that's right, Carmen Tarleton. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and actually, um, you know, your story resonated with, with, with me a little bit um, in the same way. Um, so Carmen was, um, in her story, she was the victim of an extraordinarily vicious attack by her 
estranged husband. Um, and, you know, I, I won't go into the details, but um, suffice to say, she mm. was left with with really terrible injuries. And I, I spoke to her surgeon who said um, it was the worst injuries he'd, he'd ever seen on a human who'd survived. Um, and, um, you know, she wasn't expected to survive. She was in a coma for three months. Um, but but she did survive. And uh, when she when she woke Rowan, up, just just so the guest, uh, the, our listeners yeah. know, it was an acid attack. That's right. That has the same effect of burns, but at a much deeper uh, cellular level that just tears apart whatever it comes into contact with. And this, uh, this attacker, her husband, yeah. completely transformed not only her face, but her life. It was a, a brutal attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it basically burnt off um, her entire face. Um, so uh, when she came around after three months, she'd had 30-odd, skin grafts um to just try to cover up um the you know her her exposed skin really terrifying um and yet she started doing inspirational speaking right away she knew at that moment that her life had changed in an extraordinary way and and, and she was going to take control of it and make something of it um uh so yeah talking to her was was absolutely uh you know inspirational she was she was empowered by this appalling thing that had happened um and then a few years down the line she um she had a face transplant she uh, i think she was only the seventh woman in yes. the u.s to have a, a face transplant um that that had its own um ups and downs and difficulties um but she's got over that um and and now she's um <laughs> she's literally a changed woman for the better, you yeah. know, she she's glad that that happened to her, which she, which is an extraordinary thing to say. But um, when you talk to her, when you understand her life, uh, you can you can realize why why that might be. Well, I'm going to hang up with you now and get Carmen on the phone, and we're going to finish this thing the, the right way because she seriously sounds remarkable, just like yeah. a, a, an incredible example for those of us who have never been through anything remotely similar to this. Not only a physical damaging event. But at the hands of a supposed loved one, she goes on to forgive the husband, which I just find remarkable. And then one of her best friends, and I'll let you kind of finish the story, uh, but you you write about it briefly. Yeah. T talk about who one of her best friends is. Well, yeah, this this is really moving. So when you, typically when you have a face transplant, you don't get introduced to the, the relatives of the donor. But for, for obvious reasons, it's, it's often quite... Um, it's a difficult situation, but um, but she's become friends with the daughter of the woman whose whose face she now wears, and um, on Valentine's Day most years they her and the the daughter um, go out for dinner, and um, the daughter says um, she she loves she appreciates being able to to kiss her dead mother's face mm. still because it's being it's be, it, uh, her dead mother's face lives on 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 Carmen. Um, so it's, it's an extraordinary story how they've become friends, um, how she appreciates the, the face of this woman who she never knew in life. Um, and, and she, yeah, she's rebuilt her life entirely. Um, uh, it, as, as you say, it's, uh, she's an extraordinary woman. As you were researching this and going through the process of discerning which ones were worthy, which ones you would write about, who you, who you'd meet with, was there one trait 
that really caught your attention? And maybe the way I'll frame the question is, if you could pick one of these 11 traits to gift to your daughters downstairs, uh-huh. uh, which trait would you pick out and, and uh, allow them to wear around as their cape going forward? Wow. Um, you know, my first instinct was to say, would be to say happiness, which is the, the final yeah. trait I look in the book. But I think I'm going to say longevity because <laughs> it seems to me from the people I've met that with longevity also comes happiness. Because as, as you said, these people, the, the people I met who were aged over 100, they had um, an incredible positivity and a, a can-do attitude and a, a kind of a happiness, an innate happiness. So I think I'm going to cheat a little bit. If I give my daughters the, the longevity one, that they can get another one um, for the price of one. You know? <laughs> right. That's cheating, uh, but I accept your answer, and I think it's a great gift to your daughters. And uh, I expect that they will spend many, many, many of their birthdays celebrating with their dad uh, right with them. So I, I think you are a model of these traits as well, Rowan. Uh, uh, well, I wish, yeah. Uh, when when you went through the research, was there a trait that kind of pulled all of them together? And I don't mean longevity, because that's more of like the proof in the pudding. But is there one that seems to bind all of them together, like a, something we can, a muscle we can stretch to ensure that we grow in resiliency and the ability uh, to grow at our sleep, which is one of yours, and happiness and intelligence and others? Was there one uh, trait that we can uh, we can begin stretching to elevate every everything else? Yeah, I I didn't expect that there would be something that that tied most of them together, but it turned out that most of the people I met had this kind of positive attitude, had a real can-do attitude. And if they were knocked down in life, like we all are, um, they got back up again and carried on. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's something that we can all try, strive to do a bit more, not not to get disheartened, not to get knocked down, um, and just carry on. Um, yeah, they, they, they had a curiosity about life. Um, they, they enjoyed doing things, talking to people, finding out new stuff. Um, and they were, they were positive about life. And, and, and that outcome or that, that trait um, did seem to be spread across all the, all the different people I met in different ways. So this is my final question before we pivot into what we call the Live Inspired Seven. But mm-hmm. after, you know, when you open up the paper, you see the worst of humanity on display for the most part. When you watch your evening news to see what's happening in London or DC or anywhere else in the world, you see for the most part, the worst of humanity on display. Right. You spent a couple of years and a whole lot of miles out there in the marketplace meeting with the best of humanity. And then you laid it out there for us to read and now it's on display in Superhuman. As you look forward, as you look down at the table with your daughter seated around it and you look forward to their future in the UK and beyond, are you more optimistic or more pessimistic uh, glancing toward what, what humanity has next? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm naturally quite optimistic um, about, about human ingenuity and human behavior. I mean, I think some bad things might well happen, <laughs> but, but I'm kind of optimistic that we'll, we'll find a way, we'll figure it out. And we'll, we'll get through it. And and I am optimistic that that there's more potential left in um, in what we can do. That that I've met people who can do some extraordinary things, but that doesn't mean we've reached the, the limit by any means of 
of what we're capable of. So I thought, I mean, you know, all the people I met, it what it was inspired. It was truly inspiring meeting these people. Mm. Um, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, it was inspiring because I believe there's more in all of us, and there's more in in our, in our children, and mm. that we we can go further. So. Um, if that answers your question, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what I took from it. Well, and the echo from the child coming up the steps answers it too. Yeah. I, 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 I believe that that is the way forward that you look down at those little ones and that's where we go next. And that's, uh, it's brighter than where we've been. So I'm also optimistic about what's to come and it won't be easy, but it, it is going to be good. So we always wrap up all of our live inspired interviews with these great guests. And now you're one of them, Rowan, with seven questions. Question number one is what is the best book you have ever read? Oh, um, uh, look, the first one that comes to my head is um, Lonesome Dove by wow. Larry, Larry McMurtry. I did not see that coming, man. You, you really threw me a curveball on that one. But uh, talk about Lonesome Dove. Why, why Lonesome Dove? Uh, well, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Western. It's a, it's a story, you know, it's, it's set at the, the last days of, in, of, the, of the pioneer days in the, in the, in the American West. Um, and it really follows um, two uh, Texan rangers um, who are semi-retired and decide to um, do one last one mm-hmm. last big job kind of thing. Um, and it and it, yeah, it doesn't sound like, you know it's it's an odd one to pick perhaps, but um, it's a Pulitzer Prize winner, and just the characters in it uh, stay with you forever. Especially the, the one of the main characters, who I think is one of the um, one of the greatest characters in in American literature. Mm. He should be up there with with Huckleberry Finn. You know, it's just just an absolutely. Uh, it's a it's a great read as well. It's not. It's not, you don't right. slog through. It's it's wonderful in in many ways. So I'm I'm going to pick that. Road awesome. Question number two is: What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you possessed and exhibited as brightly today? Um. I think it's a intensity of focus um, and the ability to to become kind of obsessively interested in something so mm. much so that I delve into it and find out new things. And and I think um, children and, and and like young younger people have this. Um, and um, I don't have it so much anymore. I, I kind of go, yeah, I know enough about that now, and um, and go on to something else. That's awesome. Uh, I'm taking notes here at home and, and uh, that ought to be something I strive to do more. You see a child building a fort in their backyard and four hours later, they're building a fort in their backyard. And I think right. there's just something really beautiful about what we naturally did as kids. Right, right. Rowan, if your house caught fire and your partner and your two little ones are already outside, your animals are outside, everybody's safe, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what one thing would you run in and grab? Oh, um, I guess um, I've actually got a, a steel box with um, some old travel journals in it and some photos. And the reason it's in a steel box is is just in case there's a fire, it would be protected. So I'd, I would run in and grab that. <laughs> they're things that uh, that I value um, because, you know, it, there. It, they're, they're written down and they're, they're not digital photos. Mm-hmm. They're not on a you know, I haven't scanned them in or anything. So if they're lost, they're lost. So I, I'd grab that. 
Ron Hooper, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to spend that time with? Uh, um, <laughs> you should have given me some warning of this. There's no so warning, man. You, you got to run this gauntlet bravely and, um, and, and practice some of the traits you were telling the rest of us. We got to learn a little bit more about. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Charles Darwin. Um, you know, he, he was, um, my hero growing up, um, an incredibly wise and compassionate man, um, who, who changed our world. So I would be honored to be able to speak to him. What's the first question you would ask Mr. Darwin? <laughs> oh, um, I would, I would ask him, um, what, what do we do now about uh, understanding the world? You know, yeah, what's I, next? I'd try to update him and then ask his advice. What, what's the best advice, whether it was Charles Darwin or anyone else has ever given you. So s- succinctly, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, it's, it's to do what you want to do. I, I think that is absolutely, you know, you, you don't force people to do things they don't want to do. Let them find their own way. Um, and and that's, uh, that's something I've heard several times throughout my life. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, you can't beat it. Two final questions. The second to last is this. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? <laughs> maybe don't drink so much. <laughs> well, if you want to make it to a hundred, it sounds like you need to start drinking more and smoking on top of it. So uh, what else would right. you tell your 20 year old self? Um, no, I'm, I'm not trying to make you change that answer. So, uh, no, that was a, that was a, a kind of facetious answer. Um, uh, I would just enjoy your youth. Yeah. I mean, I did enjoy my youth, but just just make sure you really enjoy it. You know, you, 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 you feel it while you've got it. Rowan Hooper, author of Superhuman. It has been said that all great people and authors and scientists can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Oh, <laughs> well, like, you know, I, I, I cannot put myself in the, in all great writers and, and scientists, <laughs> but, but if I had to sum up my life, how would my sentence read? Um, uh, you know, he was a nice guy. <laughs> he, he did a few cool things. Um, and, you know, if, if, if I managed to uh, inspire anyone with the stories that I'm telling about other people, um, then I'd be very happy with that. Rowan Hooper, author and scientist and father and leader, uh, Pretty nice guy. You have inspired a lot through your stories of inspiration and your reminder of the superhuman characteristics alive and well within each and every one of us. Like I said earlier, you don't need a cape or a blue tights, although both are effective to be a superhuman yeah. to uh, really make a difference in someone else's life, starting with your own. So thank you for reminding us of that truth. John, thanks very much for having me on. It's been great to chat with you. Uh, my friends, that is Rowan Hooper. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired podcast community. And as much as I love the guests that we have on, I appreciate even more the impact of their stories, their messages, their lives on yours. So I'm asking you to take just a moment to do me a big favor. 
I'd like you to take a survey so that we can better understand what it is about our Live Inspired podcast that you love, what's working for you, maybe what's not working perfectly for you, what more you'd like to hear about, and maybe a special guest you'd like us to bring on. You can take this survey by visiting me online at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Again, here we go, johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. Come on. I really want these podcasts to be as best as they can. I want them to challenge your thinking and elevate your lives. So take just a moment right now, help us make this better, not only for you, but for our entire community. Your feedback matters. So go again right now to John O'Leary, inspires.com forward slash podcast.